you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Many years ago, my wife and I met a teenage girl who had just survived a car accident. Tragically, her mom and dad and cousin died. She was the only survivor. Quite understandably, she needed some biblical counseling to deal with her grief and the problems that emerged from all of that pain and suffering. But over the course of many conversations, we realized that we had to deal with this young lady's understanding of the source of her suffering and the bigger picture of the source of all of our suffering. She had come from a Roman Catholic background, so she was new to an evangelical Reformed Christian faith. But the source of her poor theology of suffering ended up not coming from her years as a Roman Catholic, but from some counseling given to her by a Baptist pastor right after the accident. He essentially told her, God had nothing to do with your accident. It was just a random event. If you want to blame anyone, blame Satan. He's the one that took your parents from you. Now, I would guess that there are some of you listening who may say this is pretty good counsel. After all, God cannot be blamed for evil. Satan is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? And some of you may even buy into the belief that random things just happen in our world as well. Now, to be gracious to this pastor, I would say that his assertion is incomplete. It leaves the counselee with the false belief that God is either incompetent, unloving, or unaware of our suffering. It makes Satan into a more powerful being than God. And the whole random thing is just not true. Again, this is why we need a biblical theology of suffering. It impacts not only what we believe about our problems, but how we counsel other people. The sort of counsel we give will be driven by our presuppositions, our underlying beliefs about God in relationship to suffering. We must have the right view of God, His sovereignty, and the connectedness to man's freedom and responsibility. We need to then move on to determine how the Bible explains the originating cause of all human suffering. Then we can accurately help someone like this young teenager when tragedy happens. One of the best places to go in Scripture to handle the question of the source of the evil of suffering is the book of Job. Sadly, there are even some Christians who think the book of Job is just a made-up story, some sort of morality play that is just too extreme to be true. Here's a quick funny story. Howard Dean, the Democrat governor who ran for president in 2004, was asked by the press what his favorite New Testament book of the Bible was. He said the book of Job. Yes, he thought the book of Job was in the New Testament. This is what else he said. But I don't like the way Job ends. Some would argue, you know, in some of the books of the New Testament, the ending of the book of Job is different. I think if I'm not mistaken, there's one book where there's a more optimistic ending, which we believe was tacked on later. Now, I don't know what to say. 
I'll actually say more about this later. I think the ending is pretty incredible. This absolutely true story is so important to our understanding of human suffering. So we'll take our time and work our way through it during this podcast. Let's start in Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. So get the mental image. The angels met with God, and Satan showed up too. What had Satan been doing with his time? Roaming the earth, looking for someone to destroy. Satan is that roaming lion looking for prey. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan makes a pretty strong accusation about Job, doesn't he? He says Job's only a good, moral God follower because life has been easy. Job serves God because of what God gives him in return. This isn't a true, genuine faith. So God says, go ahead, put Job to the test. But notice that he limits Satan's power. God does not limit himself. He limits all the rest of us. Let's continue in verse 13. Now there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Tragedy upon tragedy. Can you imagine losing all your wealth and all your children in the short space of just a little bit of time? As extreme as this may sound, it is not unimaginable. 
People throughout history have gone through similar things. Maybe you know people or yourself have gone through similar things. The more amazing thing is not Job's suffering, but it's Job's response. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. Job grieved in faith. Now let's go to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Satan doesn't go away easily, does he? Yes, he was defeated already, soundly defeated, but he thought he still had a chance. So he suggested to God a different kind of suffering for Job, the suffering of his own health by painful disease. Again, God shows his control by limiting Satan to not killing Job. So let's finish this part of Job's story in verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in his ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So we see here different sorts of suffering, but the same result. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Even his wife tempted him to curse God, but he did not. So now let's talk through all the players in this important story about suffering. The role of God, the role of Satan, and the role of man in the evil of suffering. First, let's talk about God's role in the afflictions of Job. First, we learn here that God is incapable of performing evil. Clearly taught that Satan is the one doing the evil things, God is incapable of performing evil. We get this confirmed in James chapter 1, verse 13. It reads, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Clear as a bell, God does no evil. He does not tempt anyone by evil. Second, we learn here that God permits evil and that he created creatures with a capacity for evil. God does not force them to exercise that capacity. He clearly did not force Satan to do the evil that he did. That was all Satan's idea. But God does permit evil and that he created creatures for that capacity. 
And then third, from this story, we learn that God chose not to restrain evil in Job's life. As an all-powerful God, he could have stopped Satan right in his tracks. He could have denied Satan's request and said, no, you're not going to do anything to Job right now. But God chose not to restrain evil and suffering in Job's life. Fourth thing we learn about God is that God ordained it that Job would endure a variety of afflictions. Now, some Christians would stop me right here and quibble with me. They don't like the sound of the word ordained. They would rather me say something like God permitted evil in Job's life. Okay, we can agree to use the word permitted, but I would assert that if the supreme God of the universe permits evil, he ordains it. One word just sounds more palatable to us than the other. If God only somehow permits evil in a passive way, then he is really not giving permission. To, to give permission, you have to be an authority. To give permission, you have to be active. For example, if you give permission to your child to go to the prom, aren't you ordaining her to go? So I'll stick with the language that God ordained Job to suffer. But if you would rather say God allows it or God permits it, that's okay. Either way, God has the final word. And then fifth thing we learn, God would use Job to get glory for himself and accomplish his purposes in the life of Job. In the end, if you read the entire book of Job, Job's sufferings were really about God, not about Job. But yet, of course, it impacted Job greatly. So then let's briefly look at Satan's role in the afflictions of Job. First, Satan's interest as a fallen creature was to get Job to curse God. He wanted desperately for Job to fail. He wanted Job to quit on God. In the bigger picture, Satan wanted to prove that human beings just worship God in order to get things from God. Satan believed that suffering would put a wedge between Job and God. That was his whole point in this temptation. And then second, Satan was permitted by God to use human and natural forces to accomplish his purposes. Satan moved on human beings to do his bidding to steal, to kill, and destroy, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. But Satan also used natural disasters, fire from the sky, wind, to accomplish his purposes. Again, Satan was permitted by God to use these human and natural forces to accomplish his purposes. He had to be first allowed to do this by God. And then there's man's role in the afflictions of Job couple of things we learn here. First, God accomplished his purposes in the life of Job by employing Satan's actions and human actions as well. In this particular case, a human being was the victim of Satan's attacks, but at the same time, a human being, Job, was under the firm control of a sovereign God. So God accomplished his purposes in the life of Job. But secondly, the Sabaeans and Chaldeans carried out their own evil purposes towards Job and his family. Satan did not force these raiders to steal Job's animals and wealth. They certainly didn't say, no, no, we don't want to raid Job. He's our friend. Don't make us do it. 
No, as human beings, they freely chose to do evil, even though Satan was behind it. And that means, third, these men, these people, were fully responsible for their actions. They could not blame Satan or God for what they did to Job. So here's the quick summary to this point. Two sentences. Behind human and natural disasters stood Satan, but behind Satan stood God. Let me say it again. Behind human and natural disasters stood Satan, but behind Satan stood God. So what is the lesson of Job when it comes to the source of the evil of suffering? That's our topic today, the source of the evil of suffering. Now, there's many different ways to say it, but here is my take. First, God is sovereign. Second, Satan and humans do the evil, but are restrained and constrained by God. And third, bad things happen, but never outside of God's control. Now, earlier, I gave you the funny quote by former Vermont Governor Howard Dean. I want to read it one more time, but now give you the rest of the quote. Here's what Howard Dean says. I don't like the way it ends. Some would argue, you know, in some books of the New Testament, the ending of the book of Job is different. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's one book where there's a more optimistic ending, which we believe was tacked on later. Many people believe the original version of Job is the version where there is not a change. Job ends up completely destitute and ruined. It's been a long time since I looked at this, but it's believed that was added much, much later. It is such an allegory. It sort of explains that bad things could only happen to very good people for no good reason. So not only did Dean not know that Job is a real story, or in the Old Testament, but he has learned a totally contrary lesson, that bad things happen to good people for no good reason. Now, where did Dean get this idea from? From Rabbi Kushner. Remember the supposed authority on the problem of suffering. Here's a quote actually from Rabbi Kushner. Job is an allegory that teaches that God is not sovereign. So bad things happen to good people. So how in the world do people like Kushner and Dean miss the whole point of this story? Well, do you remember the rest of the story of Job? After a series of debates with his so-called friends, who were terrible biblical counselors, by the way, God shows up. And instead of giving Job answers to his suffering, God questions Job. So here is one of those exchanges with Job that Rabbi Kushner actually uses to prove his belief about the source of the evil of suffering. Listen to this exchange. God says, Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together, bind their faces in the world below. Then will I acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Now here's Kushner's commentary on these verses. He says, I take these lines to mean 
If you think that it is so easy to keep the world straight and true, to keep unfair things happening to people, you try it. God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes even he can't bring that about. It is too difficult, even for God, to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. Do you hear it? God is impotent and and unable to handle our suffering. God is impotent and unable to handle our suffering. Again, this is the wrong view of God, but also a wrong view of the source of our suffering. The lesson of Job is that God is sovereign over our suffering. That is the truth. So now let's look at this issue more in depth, using this case study as an overall theme, but looking for the biblical understanding of the source of the evil of suffering. So let's state the problem. And here it is. To what does the Bible attribute the source of evil in this world? If God is not the author and cause of sin, then what are the sources of evil and suffering? So here are the issues involved. Now, pardon the repetition, but we need to review again at this point. Here's the first issue involved. The relationship of God to good and evil. The Bible represents God, who is absolutely good, as permitting moral evil and the consequence natural evil. Moral evil, all the bad things, and natural evil, all the harmful things that happen in this world. God accomplishes his providential work in this world by miraculous acts, acts of nature, as well as acts of morally responsible humans and angels. So again, that's the relation of God to good and evil. But then we need to speak again of the personality, nature, and purpose of Satan. The Bible represents Satan as a real personality and a morally responsible being. We see him testing Job. We see him later tempting Christ, etc. Satan, as a rebellious creature, is the great adversary to God and all that God stands for. Listen to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. This is Satan. Satan who tried to be greater than God. Satan who now hates God and God's people. Then we have to factor in here as our, in our source of suffering, the significance of the fall of man. First, the Bible holds man directly responsible for his fallen, sinful condition. Here, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. The disobedience of Adam and Eve resulted in a loss of relationship with God and a curse upon nature. We read through this already in Genesis 3. This is so significant when we're dealing with our human suffering. 
But here again is where people like Rabbi Kushner take a different view of the fall of man. This is the world's view, which cannot accept humans as fallen sinners. Listen carefully to the words of Kushner. The Garden of Eden story is one of the most misunderstood stories in the Bible. What happened to Adam and Eve is not that they became sinners, but that they became human. Their punishment is that they would have to spend their lives making choices. This is what it is meant to be human in the image of God. It means being free to make choices instead of doing whatever our instincts would tell us to do. No other creature except man is free to choose. God will no longer intervene to keep us from doing things. All he will do is to tell us certain things are wrong, warn us that we will be sorry for having done them, and hope that if we don't take his word for it, we will at least learn from experience. We'll return to this quote several times over this series, but this is how Kushner and the world holds on to the idea of man being good. Even though they believe he somehow believes the Garden of Eden story, he interprets it as that we are not sinners, we are just human. We're just free to choose good and evil since we're made in the image of God. But if your view of man is that he's basically good, you will never understand the source of the evil of suffering. You will not carry the right view of God, Satan, and fallen man. All right, as we finish up this section on the source of the evil of suffering, we need to return to Rabbi Kushner once more. Again, I'm not trying to beat him up, but he does give us his final word on the book of Job. Listen carefully how he uses Job's experience to suggest a practical response from all of us who are suffering. Here it is. Are you capable of forgiving and loving God even when you found out that he is not perfect, even when he has let you down and disappointed you by permitting bad luck and sickness and cruelty in his world and permitting some of those things to happen to you? Can you learn to love and forgive him despite his limitations, as Job does, and as you once learned to forgive and love your parents, even though they were not as wise, as strong, or as perfect as you needed them to be. All of that is just so sad. No, Rabbi Kushner is not a professing Christian, but even a Jewish rabbi should not conceive of a God who isn't perfect. But he has to hold on to an imperfect God in order to put the source of suffering into the hands of a random world, a random universe. That, for Kushner, is the source of our suffering, randomness. Interestingly, in all his writings, Kushner doesn't even address the reality of Satan, even when he talks about the suffering of Job. His belief that Job learned to love an imperfect heavenly father is sadly what many people believe. We make God into our own image, just like a parent who screws up sometime and cannot keep us safe all the time. That's how we picture God. Kushner has missed the whole point of the book of Job and the answer to the source of why people suffer. Well, let me end here with a great response to Kushner's view from the late, great Reformed theologian, R.C. Sproul. Listen carefully. If God is omnipotent, all-powerful, then he clearly has the power to prevent any event from happening that actually happens. 
If I choose to sin this afternoon, God has the power to prevent me from sinning if he so chooses. He also has the right to prevent me from sinning since he's sovereign. If he permits my sin, this does not mean he sanctions it or gives his permission in the sense that he deems it lawful. He may let it occur without intervening to stop it. That is what is meant by his permissive will. He lets it happen. But what God permits to happen, he still chooses to permit. That is, since he could stop it and decides not to stop it, he exercises his permission according to his good pleasure. In some sense, he ordains that it happens or else it could not happen. End quote. There it is. God is sovereign over our suffering. But we'll pick up the second half of the topic of the source of the evil of suffering in our next episode. God bless. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.